Amen. Here we go. We're going to start this. this we're going to be in the series. I'm planning uh, all the way until Easter Sunday. So we're going to we're going to dig in with this for a little while. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about getting this. I want to read these these uh, this little chunk of scripture. We're actually going to kind of start at the end and then work our way through the middle and the beginning as we go here. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'm going to explain what's going on, give a little background here in a moment. But Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10, and then verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Now keep this in mind, the teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express the truth clearly. Then verse 13 and 14, these are the final words of this, of, this, of this very short book in the Old Testament. It says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or or bad. Everything is meaningless. Now here's the conclusion. Fear God. Obey his commandments. This is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this moment and this time today. Lord, I pray that you will just absolutely bless this moment that we have together today, as you already have, thank you for moving and hearing our voice and accepting our worship today, God, and blessing us with your spirit. Father, I pray as we look at your word for these few moments today that the Holy Spirit, the dove of the spirit, will continue to rest, will continue to move upon us, Father, and will bring the word of God to life on the inside of us, Lord. Deposit the eternal seed of your word. Let it be watered by your spirit and reap the harvest in our souls that you want it to do today, Father, in Jesus' name. If there's any here today right now that do not know you, Lord, I pray in these next few moments that you will continue to call them, bring them to you before we end our time together today in Jesus' name. Will you put your hand on your belly somewhere at home in the building? Do that with us together. And I want you to pray this prayer out loud so you can hear it with your own ears. Repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, speak to me today. Open up my eyes. Open up my ears. Let me see what you want me to see. Let me hear what you want me to hear so I can do what you want me to do and be everything you've called me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen and amen. So this book, Ecclesiastes, is quite different from most of the literature and most of the writings in Scripture. Number one, we have to understand as we look at this over the next few weeks, and just let me just plug this real quick. If you're not hooked up with the, hey, Evan, are you back there? Is that Evan back there? Yeah. Get, put the, uh, real quickly, throw the uh, QR code for the Bible reading plan graphic up there if we have it in, in the plan today. Yeah, make sure you're on this because you're going to really get a lot out of this reading plan that we have as we go along this series. So if you're not getting a Monday morning text alert with a link to the reading plan, make sure you do that, man. And I encourage you to do that. We, we're, doing this, we're doing this until Jesus tells us to do something different. We'll be having follow-along Bible reading plans to help uh, us all work this th stuff out together. So make sure you're plugged into that. When you hit that QR code, it should open up a text message with a word, and you just hit send, and then you're good to go, and, you, and you'll get those alerts. And that come, that, that's going to hit your phone uh, Mondays at about 7 o'clock in the morning. So anyway, 
just a little bit about this book in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes is written by King Solomon, the, the third, the third uh, king in the Old Testament history of the nation of Israel, the son of David. He was the son, actually, of David and Bathsheba. And, Song of, and Solomon, if you know about Solomon, he was considered one of the wealthiest, the wisest. He, he basically took the, the nation of Israel and took the kingdom in the Old Testament to the pinnacle of the heights of where it would ever be. Solomon was considered one of the one of the wealthiest, wisest, smartest uh, guys that has ever lived, according to the scripture, and 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 probably still even holds up to this day. And Solomon begins later in his life. This this book of Ecclesiastes is the journey of Solomon writing about this season and moment that took up a great chunk of his life, where Solomon became became very troubled with the question that we've probably all found ourselves asking at some point, why? Everyone ever asked that? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? What are we doing? Why am I going to work? Why am I paying bills? Why am I going to school? Why am I trying to get good grades? Why am I going to church? Why are we singing these songs? What is it for? What does it mean? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Has anybody ever had the time to ask yourself that? Now, here's the reality. If you have had the time to sit back and ask yourselves why, you should also take a moment and appreciate how blessed and privileged you are to live in a moment and live in a season of life and live in a time where you have the ability to actually sit back and ponder life a little bit and ask yourself why, because the vast majority of people on this planet often don't ever have time to ask why, because we're too busy trying to figure out the what and the how, and why doesn't even enter into the equation. Amen, somebody? But if you've ever asked yourself why, as vexing as that might be and as frustrating as that question might be, also just take a minute and appreciate that you also have experienced some blessings in your life if you have the what and the how together enough to be able to go whom I wonder why I'm doing this what is this all for what's the purpose now Solomon is privileged Solomon is the king Solomon is super smart Solomon is super wealthy and Solomon has lived a thousand lives in his one life as the king and he begins in this book of Ecclesiastes to unpack this journey where he begins to ask himself, why? What is the point of this? Where am I at? What are we doing? And as he begins to dive deep into that question, we see through this book where Solomon experiences a real crisis of faith, a real crisis of questioning, where is he at? Where's God? What is the purpose? What is the deal? Where is this all going? Where am I at? That is who the teacher is. He calls himself the teacher, and that's where he is. That's what this book is all about. Amen, somebody? Okay? So just a little bit about Solomon, if you don't know. I've already shared a little bit, but here's the deal. Wealthy, wise, took the kingdom to the height of, of, of its glory in the Old Testament. Solomon was the one who, who followed David in the, in the inheritance, took over the kingdom from, from, from David, who was great. This is the same, the same David who killed Goliath and all of that. David was a man after God's own heart. David prepared Solomon to build the temple, and it was Solomon that actually built the temple in Jerusalem for, for all of the 
decades and generations before that, they worshiped God in a tent that Moses had put together. And finally, Solomon built this immaculate, wonderful temple that was one of the wonders of the world. The Bible says that people from far and wide came to see this. It was a marvel. It was glorious. And even in that building of the temple, Solomon's heart was so on fire for God that the Bible says that when they dedicated the temple, Solomon sacrificed so many bulls and lambs and sheep in an extravagant gift of generosity and worship to God that they could not even count how many Solomon did. And that moved God. Solomon's generosity and heart moved God so much that the Bible says that when they, when they dedicated the temple, that the glory of God, a literal cloud, not just goosebumps, not just a feeling in your heart, but literally the manifest glory of God, the Bible says, like a cloud hovered and moved into the room. And the Bible says that the priest and Solomon and everybody there fell face down and they couldn't even sing the songs and they couldn't even perform the ceremonies because the glory of God was so thick and so manifest in the room. So not only did Solomon, not only was Solomon wealthy and wise and smart and intellectual, and not only was he a wonderful leader, and not only did he build this extravagant thing, but he experienced the glory of God and the presence of God and had a deep intimate relationship with the creator, unlike probably many of us have ever had in this room today. It was unbelievable. After that moment, Solomon goes to bed. The Bible says that God shows up to Solomon in a dream, a vision. Twice in Solomon's life, God shows up in a vision and basically says, Solomon, you have moved me so much. You ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. That was the kind of relationship and the kind of faith and the kind of intimacy that God or that Solomon had with God and how he knew God. So he knew God. He saw God move. He was famous. The Bible says that, uh, and you'll read this if you follow in the, in the reading plan in a little while, that, that uh, there's kings and queens would come to listen to Solomon's wisdom, that he spoke several languages. He could speak intelligently about all kinds of plants and all kinds of wildlife. I mean, Solomon was a guy like no other. But much of that was at the beginning of Solomon's life. And somewhere in the middle, Solomon, and he shares this, and we're going to dig into this over the next few weeks, Solomon loses sight of some of those moments that he had, and he begins, the Bible says, and he will say this himself in Ecclesiastes, he says, so I... I began to become unsatisfied, and I began to search for satisfaction in worldly things. He says, I began to search in satisfaction in my wealth. And he said, I began to let the restraints off of my life and the barriers and the boundaries off of my life. And I began to live wild, and I began to party it up, and I began to do all kinds of... So Solomon goes, somewhere in the middle of his life, he goes from this amazing, intimate, deep connection with God to then to begin to lose sight of that and then begin to give himself over to all manner of pleasure and depravity. I mean, Solomon got loose. I shared this a few weeks ago. Solomon, the Bible said, had 300 wives, over 300 concubines. He got after it, okay? He was, let me say it this way, just, just in case you, so you understand that the Bible isn't just with a bunch of squares and goody two-shoes. Solomon, listen, Solomon drank more, smoked more, had sex with more, partied more than anybody in human history. Okay? This is Wilt Chamberlain times a thousand. Solomon did it and did it some more. 
And at the end of all the things that he's experienced, he comes away with this question. After wondering what's it all for, he goes, all of this stuff that I've done, all of this stuff that I've been through, it is unsatisfying. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2, put it up on the screen. This is the very first thing. And here's what he says. After all the life that he lived in, everything, everything is meaningless, completely, utterly meaningless. In verse 2, in chapter, in ch- put chapter uh Put 217 up there is what he says. He says, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. See, Solomon, this is what I'm thankful of. I want you, I'll, I'll give a sneak peek at the end of the story for Solomon. Solomon does return back to God. In some way, form, or fashion. We know this. We see this from the end of the text that I read here. He, after, after coming to all these conclusions and living his life out and, and getting loose and getting wild and doing these things, he came back to God. But, so, so Solomon started strong and somewhere in the middle lost sight of God and thankfully came back to him. And here's one thing I think about with Solomon because he had all the resources to give in and live out all of the proclivities and all of the temptations and all of the pleasures. I don't know about you. I thank God. I thank God. God, that when I was running from God, I didn't have the type of resources that Solomon did. Amen, somebody? Because I don't think I would have been smart enough or wise enough to get back on the track that I needed to if I had the resources at my fingertips that Solomon did. Can anybody else say amen if you're honest today? Amen? And so some of you, some of you might be, some of you might, instead of being bitter that you haven't gotten that promotion yet and haven't gotten that blessing yet, you might ought to thank God that he hasn't given you the resources that you think you need yet because you might not be able to handle the stuff. Now, I'm preaching real good, real, real hard here this morning. Okay, so, but that's another sermon for another time. But, but here's the thing. Solomon starts strong and loses sight of God in the middle. Somewhere in the middle, as he loses sight of God, when you lose sight of God in the middle, everything becomes meaningless. We got to remember, family, it is not necessarily about how strong I start. And it's not even about how good I can finish. I need to stay strong and keep my eyes on Jesus in the middle. Everybody say the middle's where it's at. Losing sight of God in the middle will lead me to thinking. Everything is meaningless. And so we started at the end in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 where Solomon's gone through this journey. We're going to go through this journey. We're going to point out some things over the next few weeks and and dive into this a little bit. This is just the introduction here today. But we start at the end. Solomon starts, everything is meaningless, and then he's reiterating it, reiterating his his general premise and thesis as he begins to bring the conclusion. And this is his final lesson. His final lesson is this, fear God, obey his commands, that is everyone's duty under the sun, and then he reminds us for everyone that we will all face eternity in one way or the other, amen? And so, and so, let me, and so that's his poetic language. Let me break that down, really, I think what Solomon is saying here, what his final conclusion is really is this, without God, nothing matters, but with God, Everything matters. 
Amen? That's really what he's saying here. You fear God. Hey, I thought it meant nothing, but that was when I was looking at life without a view of eternity and without a view of God. But when I apply God to my life and when I get my sight set back on him and when I remember that there is an eternity that awaits me beyond this life, all of a sudden with God in the without God, living life without God, my perspective of the world and life without God, nothing matters. Everything is meaningless. But if God is real and I believe that he is, I know that he is, and if I really am going to face a judgment and then eternity when I die, that means that with God, which I cannot separate because I know him, I've seen him, I've experienced him, there's too much. He said, with, without God, nothing's going to matter, but with God, everything matters. If I'm going to face eternity one day, everything on this life is going to matter. And so listen, I got, a, I got news for you. If you're struggling, if you find yourself asking these questions, and we all will find ourselves asking these questions from time to time in different seasons of life, but maybe you're really stuck there. Maybe someone at home, you're really wondering, man, what is this about? You really find yourself like Solomon going, man, I don't think anything matters. It's all bitter. It's all tasteless. I've, I've done it all. I've seen it all, and it's all nothing. It's all not satisfying. Listen, what might need to happen is we might need to get our sights refocused and refixed on Jesus. And when you do that, you'll see that it's not nothing that matters. It is actually everything that matters when Jesus is in the mix. Amen? So, so let's start with this. How do we make everything matter? How in the world can everything matter? What do I need to do to make everything matter? We're going to go to the very close to the beginning, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, early on in Solomon's discourse as he's just beginning to unpack this journey that he's on for us and, and just be real and, and, and open about his, his crisis and, and what he went through in the middle of his life. This is what he says, Ecclesiastes 3.11. Put that on the screen, please. He says this. He says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time or in its own season. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Everything is beautiful in its time, but we cannot see the eternal scope of God's work from beginning to the end. I want to just pick out a couple of things in that idea that I think will help us understand how everything matters and help us begin to see from a heaven's perspective how everything can matter and how to make everything matter. The first thing is this. Understand that God works and God moves and God is a God of season. Everyone say season. Now, we've all heard this because we live in Indiana or Ohio. Any Ohioans here? God help you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We love Ohioans too. Hate your football, but no, I'm just kidding. We we love we love the we love the Buckeyes. Some some people do. Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> Wherever you're from, we've heard this before in the Midwest, right? Uh, well, if you don't like the weather, stick around. It'll change. <laughs> it's like. One of those great old guy jokes you hear like at McDonald's while you're getting a cup of coffee, you know what I mean? And uh, I don't know. <laughs> the guys that make those jokes usually also seem to know like that we need rain. You ever notice that? They're like, uh, yeah, it needs to rain. I'm like, I don't, I don't. when do you get to be that age that you just know it needs rain? I have no idea if we need rain or not. Anyway, we've heard that before, right? We know that the season changes. 
God has established the world and the universe that he created to have different seasons. Those seasons have beginning and endings. Uh, sometimes we want it to end a little sooner than it does. Sometimes it goes a little longer than we want it to. But we understand that God is a God of cycle and a God of season. And the same thing in our life, God works in our lives in cycles and season and timings. And, and, and one way to help me understand, in fact, I'm not going to read it all, but those first few verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 Solomon begins to go through and he starts it by saying, there is a time for everything under the sun. Everything, there is a time for everything that happens in life. God has a specific timing and a specific season for everything that will happen. There is a time for mourning. There is a time for weeping. There is a time for praising. There is a time for dancing. There is a time for joy, time for laughter, a time to build, a time to tear down, a time to plant, a time to sow, a time to reap, a time for everything. Everything has its time. And the thing that we have trouble with, I know the thing that I have trouble with, is learning and discerning and surrendering to the difference between what is God's own time and what is Justin Bradley's own time. Amen? And a lot of frustration that I have dealt with in my life and a lot of the moments in my life where I found myself lining up with Solomon's thesis here that life is pointless, everything is meaningless, and I begin to get bitter and I begin to hate life is often related to this idea that I am trying to live in a season that I want to rather than accepting the season that God has declared and God has put me in. Ooh, that's good. Amen? Amen? And here's what Solomon understands and Solomon gives us here to understand that to make everything matter. And it's this. God has a season for everything in my life. Everything. Say that with me. Everything. You know what everything means in the Hebrew? means all of it. <laughs> means everything. It means exactly what it says. Everything. All of it. The stuff you want to talk about, the stuff you don't want to talk about, the stuff you're proud of, the stuff you're ashamed of, the stuff you wish didn't happen, the stuff you wish would happen a little more, the stuff you wish you could forget about, the stuff you wish you could remember. Everything has its season. And God, watch this, here's what he says. Not only does God have a season for everything under, sun, under the sun, but this is the, this is the amazing power of God at work here. God can make everything, the stuff you want to remember, the stuff you want to forget, the stuff you want to talk about, the stuff you don't ever want to talk about, the stuff that you... God can make everything... Put it up there. Put it up there. Put that verse up, 311, so we all see this together. You know I'm not making it up. We remember. God has made everything what? 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 Beautiful. Beautiful in its own time. That means, leave that up there for a moment. That means that everything that I have lived, everything I've experienced, everything that I've gone through. And I don't want to take you to a dark place and I don't want to go there myself. But some of you have went through some dark stuff. I've been through some trauma, some dark stuff myself. Amen? But here's the promise of God. And this is, the, this is making everything matter. 
Because some of us have went through stuff and you think, God, why did I have to go through that? Why did I have to experience that? Why did I have to get cut like that? Why did I have to get wounded like that? Why did I have to get sick like that? Why did I have to go through that? I don't know the why, but what I do know is that this word and God promises that he will make everything beautiful in its own time, which is his own time, which means that God, oh, listen, listen, listen. If you, oh goodness, I feel the Holy Ghost. If you're going through something that you're ashamed of, if you're going through something you want to forget, if you're going through something that you're holding on to and you wish you could get rid of your life, if you're going through something that you're sitting here wondering, man, this has made me bitter, this has made me angry, this has made me question why, if God is even real, this has made me question what I'm even doing on this earth, this has made me question whether or not I even want to live or die, what I'm even doing here, I want you to understand something. Even that thing has a season where God will make it beautiful if you'll just wait for that season. Oh, come on, somebody. Somebody needs to praise God that the stuff you're going through right now, it may be ugly and it may be messy and it may hurt like hell right now, but God has a season where he's going to turn that thing into something beautiful, into something powerful, into something that's going to be unbelievable for your life. And when I live life in view of that season, and understanding that the season I'm in right now is not going to last forever and God will take this season and make it something beautiful if I wait for its own time. That will make me and help me to see that everything matters in God. But it, it's, it's, in, it's, it's in its own time. Amen? Amen? And the frustration that I go through and the things that I experience often is because instead of, instead of accepting and trusting and being faithful in the season I'm in, I'm frustrated and I'm trying to change the season. I don't want to live I don't want to live in winter. I want to live in spring. I don't want to live in the whatever my sea. I don't want to live in that thing. I just want it to be this other thing. But the thing is, I'm not in charge of that. I don't have the power, the ability, the resources, or anything to change the patterns of the seasons. I can only surrender and trust God and no matter what season I'm in and understand that, that God will make every season beautiful in its own time. The winter is ugly, but it's the winter that gives way to the spring. Amen, somebody? It's the winter that gives way to the spring. It's the, it's the, it, we have to, so I need to live and that will help me understand that everything is, is beautiful. God makes even the ugly parts of my life beautiful in the right season and only God can do that. Only God can do that. So it's only with God that everything can matter. And then he says this. He says, uh, put, put verse 311 back up there for a moment, please. So we, I want you to check this out. It says he's planted eternity in the human heart. So we have this sense, this idea of something beyond this temporary life that we're in right now. God has planted that in the human heart. Let me, let me just say this. You may say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in it. That I don't understand that. Listen, do you know that, do, could it be possibly, because there were many people that, that might, that, you know, let's just take one thing. Uh, UFOs, right? 
a lot of people say, well, you know, like we got those UFOs or whatever, they've been shot down, a bunch of these balloons or whatever, they've been shot down, you know. I got to tell you, if, an al if, if the balloons are aliens, I'm real disappointed in the aliens, you know what I mean? I, f I was expecting a lot more if that's the aliens, but... Uh, <laughs> But people say, well, well, surely there has to be something beyond this earth. How could this little planet in this vast expanse of the universe be the only thing? Well, could it be our, your, that, that understanding that there has to be more beyond this? It's not more in the stars possible. It's God, that God has placed eternity in the heart of every man. This desire, this sense, this understanding that surely there has to be something beyond what I can see, touch, feel, taste, experience in this lifetime. And it's true. But he's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so... We, we have this sense that there's something more, but we can't see. We don't have the ability with our human physical eyes and, 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 and these little primate brains that God has placed inside. We don't have the ability to sense or grasp or see the scope of God working from beginning to end. Okay? You follow me so far? But here's the thing. God is working from beginning to end. Amen? Let me read this scripture, Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. Do you have that back there? Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. Throw that up there. Look at this. Before the mountains were born, before you gave earth, birth to the earth and the world, listen, from beginning to the end, the psalmist says, you are God. And I, if, if I was writing that today, I would, in parentheses, Right after in, the end of that, you are God, I would also add, and in the middle. He's God in the beginning, and he's God at the end. And we talk about the beginning and end a lot. Look how great it started. Oh, look how strong he finished. But I want you to know something. We all look at that, and we, we make our songs about it, and we talk about it, but it's in the middle that God shows up the most. Amen, somebody? And I got to get news for somebody that's in the middle. You might be stuck in the middle. You might be in the middle of a season that you don't like. You might be in the middle of some stuff that you think feels pointless and meaningless and messy. But here's the good news. Listen to me close. No matter how meaningless, messy, or miserable the middle may feel, God is there working. He's God from beginning to the end. And everywhere in between. And Solomon gives us that nugget and recognizes that, that we can't see the scope of everything God's doing in the beginning and in the middle and in the end, yet we know that he's there and he's working. Amen, somebody? You know how I can make everything matter? Is, is real? Because here's the thing, guys. The end, the beginning is like 0.5% of my life and the end is like 0.5% of my life. And the middle is the other 99% in between. Come on, somebody. And so I better figure out how to get my eyes on Jesus and make the middle matter. And I can do that when I understand that God is not just there at the beginning and he's not just there at the end, but he's working in the middle. Amen. Well, my, my middle's a mess. He's working. My middle's miserable. He's working. My middle feels pointless. He's working. He's there. Amen, somebody? And so the next time, and there will be a next time, it might be this afternoon, it might be tomorrow, it might be six months from now, when you think, man, this is pointless, this is meaningless, 
may very well feel that way. And in many ways, it adds up to that's what it is. Remember, it's just the middle. But God is in the middle. And God's working in the middle. Amen? I'm almost done. I just, I just want to say this one thing, too, that I love about this. This is chapter 3 of a 12-chapter uh, message that the teacher Solomon is giving us. And I just think it's awesome because if you read this through, you'll see that Solomon gives us this. And we're going to see this over the next few weeks. We're going to dive into some of this. And Solomon takes this great journey examining and looking and questioning all the things of life and, and finding no satisfaction and finding meaninglessness in all of it and being bitter with all of it. It's all chasing the wind. We're going to talk about that idea, chasing the wind, next week. But but I want you to see, and I, I just, it, just, it, just, it just leaps out at me, is this, <laughs> that that, that even though Solomon is in this journey, God is actually there speaking near the beginning of the journey. Isn't that something to think about? That even at the beginning, when Solomon begins to question, God shows up with the answer. Isn't that powerful? It's, it's amazing to me to think that even at the beginning of my quest, even at the beginning of my journey, even at the beginning when I'm beginning to dive deep and I'm beginning to question and I'm beginning to have doubts and I'm beginning to have fears and I'm beginning to get bitter, even at the beginning of that process, God was there speaking life and speaking the answer to me. Amen? And I just think that's so amazing. And I think somebody needs to understand that you might be at the beginning of asking some questions. You might be at the beginning of a season that you're going into. You might be at the beginning of some things that you're going through. But I want you to know something. Don't, don't mistake and, and, and have an attentive ear and begin to listen. Because I promise you that he's there at the beginning and at the end and in the middle. And at the very beginning, God is there speaking promises, speaking truth, speaking life to my season and my situation even at the start. Amen. He was there with Solomon and he's there with you and me too. So let's listen. Let's listen. Amen. Will you stand all over this place this morning? Listen. Solomon comes to this conclusion at the end because he gets his, he gets his sight back and he begins to see, hey, hey, he begins to, gets awakened. Fear God, obey his commands. God is there and it's my duty to serve him, to love him, to obey his voice. And the reason that that's my duty is because when this life is over, in fact, there is something at the other side. There is eternity awaiting you and me and him on the other side of this. Now, Solomon is in the Old Testament. Solomon has an Old Testament Judaic understanding of what he would face in eternity. And so Solomon's only hope is that he followed the law and obeyed the scripture and lived his life in a way that would please God so that when he was judged by God, God would see his good works. God would see his good, his good, you know, his, his, good, his goodness and say, come on. And that was Solomon's reality. We have an even better reality though, family, because you and I, are New Testament people of God. You and I are living in the New Testament. And in the New Testament or uh, the new covenant, the new agreement, the new arrangement, you and I have an opportunity. Watch this now. I don't have to face eternity. Oh, goodness. Whew, thank God. I don't have to face eternity 
with the sum of my good deeds and see which ones outweighs the other. I can face eternity with Jesus by my side. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. Solomon's only hope was to fear God, obey his commands, be a good boy, follow the rules, do right, and then face judgment. We all will still face judgment. We all still face eternity. But you and I have the ability and we have the promise and we have the opportunity to walk into eternity holding the hand of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the pure spotless Lamb, God in the flesh who came to the earth, gave his life on a hill called Calvary, allowed nails to be driven through his hands and his feet, spilled his blood on the earth in the payment for your and mine sins. Amen, somebody? We are walking into eternity. We are facing judgment with Jesus if we have accepted and have said yes to the sacrifice that Jesus made in our place. And I just want you right now, will you just bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes all over this room? Just do that right now. You might be at home right now. You might be, you might not even be live with us. You might be listening on Tuesday at six o'clock on your way home from work. I don't know, but right now, so if you're driving, don't bow your head and close your eyes, but just listen up. But, but, but here, listen, if you're, just as a way to focus, and I want to ask, ask you this question. I want to ask you this question. If you walked out of this moment and met eternity, who are you walking into eternity with? Is your only hope like that of the Old Testament, like that of Solomon? to meet judgment and to face eternity with the sum of how good or how bad you were? I think all of us, if we're real honest, would be very worried that that was the case. Well, right now in this moment, you have an opportunity to know that whether eternity shows up in the next few moments in the next few years, the next few decades, you can walk into eternity with Jesus at your side. And you don't have to be a good person. You don't have to, you don't have to do a bunch of things. The only thing that the Word of God, the only thing that Jesus has said you have to do to keep me with you, to have me with you, walking into eternity with you, is to receive what I have already accomplished for you. And what Jesus accomplished for us 2,000 years ago he bled, he died, and three days later he rose again, was that he, listen, what he was doing, he took the penalty for our sin. He took the penalty for our sin. See, the Bible says that the punishment of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And every one of us are sinners. The Bible also says there is none that is righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. We have all sinned from the most religious, holy, spiritual person you put in your mind to the drunk, to the addict, to the, to the most terrible sinner you can think of. All have sinned. And the good news, we call it the gospel, is that Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. That's what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. There is no dispute. There is no question. 
There was a man, Jesus, historically. He died. He was punished by the Roman government. There is no question his tomb is empty. The only question is what it means. And the question of what it means is so important because literally eternity is in the balance. It is eternity that is wagered on what it means. And what the Bible tells us and what we believe and what we have come to know, what I have come to know that it means is that Jesus took care of my sin problem so that I could take care of my eternity problem. And today, I don't care who you are, I don't care where you've been, I don't care if you've been in church your whole life, I don't care if you've prayed the prayer a million times, I don't care if you've been baptized, if you are not living for God and if you are not certain of whether or not Jesus is gonna walk into eternity with you, I don't want you to leave this moment, I don't want you to leave this place without answering the call and inviting Jesus to be with you in that moment. And when you do that, here's the great news. Not only are you going to be inviting Jesus to be with you in that moment in eternity, but it's going to start right now. And you can practice walking with him right now. With every head bowed, every back closed, I'm not going to call you up front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I am going to invite you to raise your hand. That's the public, that's the only public declaration we're going to say today, just as a raised hand. And you say, well, why do I have to do that? Well, I will tell you this. Jesus did say this. He said, if you're embarrassed of me before men, I'm going to be embarrassed of you before my father. And I don't know all the ins and outs to why that's important, but I will say this. When I respond publicly to what something God is doing inwardly, it brings heaven and earth together. It's me putting feet to what I feel inside my heart. And that's what begins a chain reaction of, of something happening. There has to be a response. There has to be a response when the Holy Spirit is moving on my heart. I'm not going to count to three. I'm not going to count to ten. With every head, I am going to. I'm going to encourage you to bow your head closed because it, I, I don't want you to think anybody's looking at you. I don't want you to think, and I don't want you to. This is not, for listen. I want you to for a moment. This is the most important question you will ever ask yourself. And I don't want you to have a wrong answer or be distracted by any of the people around you. I don't care who. I don't care if it's your husband, your wife. I don't care if it's a mom or a grand, grandma, whatever. This, this is too important to worry about anybody else around you. In this place, they say, man, I want to make sure Jesus, I want to know that Jesus, I want to meet eternity and the rest of this life with Jesus by my side. I want to receive and, and accept the sacrifice that he made for me 2,000 years ago. If that's where you're at today, that's the decision you need to make today. Will you just raise your hand all over this room? Just raise your hand all over this room. Amen. Leave it up for just a moment. Amen. Amen. I want everyone in this room, I want you at home, I want you to repeat this prayer. Say it out loud. Nobody gets saved alone in this place, guys. We're going to do this together. I want everyone to repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I come to you right now just like I am, a sinner who has sinned. But I believe that you are the Son of God. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. And you did it for me. And so I ask you right now to forgive me of my sin. Come and live on the inside of me. Make me yours from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Thank you 
for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for helping me walk with you every day of my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, if you prayed that, why don't you just say thank you right now? Come on, church. Can we just rejoice with those that have prayed that today? And you may have prayed that prayer at home. There are links in the description. I want to encourage you to click those. And let's get this thing started, man, in Jesus' name. I want to pray one more prayer that we're going to be dismissed this morning. If you did pray that prayer in the building, you prayed that prayer at home, right on the website. If you have some questions, I know you've got questions. You're not going to have them all figured out. I still got questions. I've been following Jesus since I was 15 years old. Ups and downs and all the ways in betweens. I've still got questions, fam. But there's a we, we put together a video that's right in the middle of the page that'll, that'll help just answer, well, what does this mean? What did I just do? What just happened? I can't encourage you enough. Check that out. If you got questions, you need prayer, come find me. Come find fact. I want the prayer team and elders, the, uh, prayer, prayer guys, elders guys, come on down to the altar today, man. Come on, let's do this. We haven't done this in a while. You need prayer about anything in your life, especially if you just prayed that prayer. Come on down here. Find these guys, man. We've got people. We're ready to pray, ready to talk, ready to help you out this morning. You can also go online. We have a, a, a place to fill out for prayer. Someone will get back with you probably within 12 to 24 hours. Real people, probably me or a staff member. Let's, we want to help you. We're here. We want to see God move in your life. Amen, somebody? I'm going to pray this. I'm going to pray that beginning today and over these next few weeks, man, I want to see us move from meaningless to meaningful in our lives and our walk with God and everything we're doing. Amen. How many want to see that? How many want to know that, man, life means something? What I do matters. With God, it matters. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you do that. I pray that you open the eyes of our heart, open the eyes of our spirit. Lord, if we are struggling, if we are bitter with life, if we feel like nothing matters and and nothing is, that everything's pointless. Lord, I pray that your presence, your spirit, your voice, God, will begin to cut through all of the noise. And God, we will begin to live life and begin to understand. And you will begin to let us see that even in the messy, muddy, ugly middle, you are there, you are working, and you are making it matter. You are making it meaningful in Jesus' name. Stretch your hands this way and receive this blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And the Lord give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen.